The theme of our retreat has been treasuring Christ above all things. As I was thinking about my speech and thinking about treasures, something recent came to mind. When I was a little boy, my dad gave me a little wooden box that says boys' treasures on it. And when I was a little boy, I would fill that little box up with coins of various kinds and arrowheads and knives and stones and all the things that little boys treasure. And just a couple of weeks ago, I decided I had outgrown that little treasure box at the age of 40 and decided I would pass it on to my son. So Gabe inherited that little wooden treasure box, and now he's going to collect boys' treasures, I'm sure, for a few years as well. Of course, like you, when I grew older, I began to set my affections on greater treasures. When I got to be 15 or 16, I started thinking more about earning enough money to buy that first car. And when I was 16, I was able to buy my beautiful red Chevy Cavalier 1989 Z24 with sunroof. Yep, it was a good one. And to cruise around on the weekends, socializing with my friends, going out to the lake to do some wakeboarding in the summer, watch football games in the fall, snowboarding in the winter, or what have you. These were the things I treasured when I was a teenager in high school. When I grew a little bit older, got to be about your age, 20 years old and a little older, my affections changed a bit more. The Lord called me to the ministry, and I treasured the time that I was given to study at Calvin College for three years. I enjoyed my studies, treasured that opportunity, as well as the opportunity as a single person to travel around the world to places like Australia when I was 21, and later to the Netherlands, and later to Northern Ireland for a BRF conference. Those were all treasured experiences. And I suppose, like many of you, I also treasured the hope of marriage. When I was in my 20s, I was single, and my friends all got married before me. So there was wedding after wedding that I attended, as probably you're going through right now. Asked to be a, a groomsman or a bridesmaid, and you have to buy a new dress or rent a tuxedo, And you go to the wedding and you celebrate with your friends, but you're still alone and single at the end of the day. And so, probably like many of you, I treasured the hope of meeting someone that I could spend the rest of my life with. Well, what do you treasure? You are single young adults, very similar to me, growing up in the Protestant Reformed churches, living in times of peace and prosperity. I assume that you're all in good health, and you have the strength of youth. So what do you treasure right now at this stage of your life? What is a treasure? A treasure, of course, is something that we value, something that's important to us, something that is a great good to us, so that we want it, we want to obtain it, we want to hold it, we want to keep it, we don't want to lose it. It's precious to us. And a treasure is something that we think that if we have it, and if we hold it, and if we keep it, it will make us happy. 
we will find happiness in life if we just have our treasure. So what is your treasure? What do you treasure? What do you want most in life? And like I said, I suppose that many of you have many of the same kinds of treasures I had when I was your age. Family and friends, relationships are important to us. The possessions that we have, our vehicle, our education, our freedom, our opportunities, and all the rest. But as we've seen in this retreat, in the Sermon on the Mount, our Lord Jesus Christ warns us not to lay up treasures on the earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. These are treasures that are uncertain. They're not lasting. You can't seek ultimate happiness in these things. But he says to lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot corrupt and where thieves cannot break through and steal because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And I'll look more at that later on in the speech. If you'll turn with me to a few passages this morning in Matthew 13, in the parables of Jesus, he also speaks of treasure. In Matthew 13, verse 44, Jesus teaches this. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he hath found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Jesus is teaching us to see that the kingdom of heaven is the greatest treasure. It is such a great treasure that just like a man who finds a treasure in a field would sell everything that he has to buy the field, or a merchant who is looking for the best pearls, when he finds a pearl like he's never seen before, he will sell everything he has to buy that pearl. It's so precious to him. What I hope to show you this morning is that our greatest treasure is in heaven. Now, by nature, we have seen that we treasure the things of this earth. From our earliest days, when we were little boys and girls, when we were teenagers, when we were young adults, we treasure earthly things by nature. But God has given us faith, and by faith, we are able to see and to know what is our true and greatest treasure. And we're able to see by faith that our greatest treasure is not on the earth, not anymore. Our greatest treasure was on the earth at one time, but he is no longer here. He is in heaven, because our greatest treasure is Christ. So let me try to demonstrate that to you this morning. I'm going to have two points to my speech. The first is going to look at why Christ is our greatest treasure. And I'm going to show you three things there. And then in the second point, we'll look at what it means then to treasure Christ above all things. Also in these times of health, peace, and prosperity. Why is Christ our greatest treasure and why ought we then to treasure him above all things? First of all, 
Christ is our greatest treasure because Christ is the God who treasures us. He is the God who has treasured us from the foundation of the world, who treasures us now, and who will treasure us for all eternity. In Exodus 19, verse 5, God revealed already to Israel, Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. God said to Israel, I have chosen you. You are my peculiar treasure above all the peoples of the earth. Deuteronomy 7, verse 6, Moses said, Thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. And Psalm 135, verse 4, For the Lord hath chosen Jacob unto himself and Israel for his peculiar treasure. Why is Christ our greatest treasure? Why is he worthy of being treasured above all? Because Christ is the God who first treasured us, the God who treasures us and will always treasure us like the apple of his eye. God treasured us before we treasured him. Long before he even created the world, God predestinated us and elected us in Christ to be his peculiar treasure. He laid his eyes upon you and upon me, and he set his affection upon you. He set his love upon you. He looked at you and saw you as the most precious thing to him. And then, so precious are we to him that he came into the world. He who is the invisible God, whom no man has seen nor can see, has stepped into the world, has taken upon himself human flesh and blood, and that's who Christ is. Christ is God come into the world, into human flesh. That's why he is our greatest treasure. He is God who has come into the world so that we might see the one who treasures us, so that we might fellowship with him face to face, so that we might know that he does indeed treasure us above all things. That's why he came into the world, to show us his great love, his great affection for us. He treasures us. And he continues to treasure us now. Although Christ has gone out of the world back up into heaven, he assures us that he treasures us. He has his affection upon us. He loves us. And that's why he is our greatest treasure. That's a great comfort to us to know. We need to know that we are treasured. Every one of us needs to know that we are loved, that someone loves us, that someone has affection for us, that someone cares about us. And we do have people in our lives who love us. We have our parents, we have our siblings, we have our friends. And yet there are times when we feel that no one is there, that no one cares. Or we feel that our friends and our siblings are moving on with life and leaving us behind And there are times when we feel lonely, when we wonder, who cares? Who loves me? Who has affection for me? Am I a treasure to anyone? We think of Psalter number 73, verse 4. 
Though earthly friends no pity take, yet thy compassion knows no end. E'en though my father shall forsake, e'en though my mother's love shall break, the Lord will be my friend. Earthly friends might move on. Even the earthly friends that you've come to this retreat with, one of them might get married before you and move on with life, and you might have a time of loneliness. But Christ treasures you. Christ holds you dear. He loves you, and he sets his affection on you, whether you're single or married, in whatever stage of life you are in. That, first of all, that's why Christ is our greatest treasure, because he treasures us. In the second place, Christ is our greatest treasure because he is our Lord and Savior who died for us when we were yet sinners We think of Romans 5, maybe you want to turn to that. Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. A beautiful expression of the gospel by the Apostle Paul. Romans 5, starting at verse 6, he says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, when we were little children, our parents taught us what is right and what is wrong. We learned from them through their teaching and through their discipline. This is good, this is evil, this is right, this is wrong. We learned that from our teachers if we went to a Christian school. We learned that from our ministers, from the pulpit. But then we grow up and we become teenagers and we become more independent and we get our own license and car and we're able to go out and do things on our own. And how often have we just disregarded the instruction that we received? How many times have we just disregarded what our parents taught us, what our ministers preached, what our teachers taught? The scriptures speak about the sins of youth because youth is a time when we often tend to heap up sins. The scriptures speak of youthful lusts as well, because youth is a time when we often allow our lusts to be satisfied, when mom and dad aren't watching over us anymore, when our teachers and ministers aren't always looking over our shoulders, and we're able to go out. Then we sometimes satisfy those youthful lusts, and we heap up the sins of youth. Later on in life, we look back and we remember those sins of youth. David wrote, I think, in more than one psalm, beseeching the Lord urgently, remember not my sins of youth, O Lord. Don't remember what I did when I was a young person. Please forgive me for the foolish things I did. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. You can add, while we were Young people walking in sinful lusts and sinful ways. While I was in the very act of satisfying my youthful lusts, God loved me so much that his son Jesus Christ died for me. While I was dishonoring my parents, talking back to them, disrespecting them, Christ was dying for me as a sinner. While I was enjoying God-dishonoring entertainment, God dishonoring movies, God dishonoring music, 
Christ was shedding his blood for me on the cross for those very sins. While I was in my insecurity and lack of confidence, trying to sound cool by using foul language, by taking God's name in vain, by cursing like the world, trying to make people think that I'm cool or tough or strong, in my foolishness, Christ was dying for me, shedding his blood for me, to save me. You see, through all of these sins that we commit as young people and as adults, we are, the scriptures say, treasuring up unto ourselves wrath against the day of wrath and the righteous judgment of God. We often don't think about the fact that by the foolish things we do, by the foolish decisions we make, by the sins we commit, we are heaping up unto ourselves the wrath of God. We're making ourselves vile before a holy and righteous God who does not wink at sin, who is not pleased with sin, who doesn't say, well, they're just young people and they will eventually grow up and mature and move beyond those sins. But we sin in the presence of a holy God who hates sin. And we treasure up wrath in the day of wrath and the righteous judgment of God. But while we were doing that, Christ was dying for us. Christ was hanging on the cross, his hands and his feet pierced with nails, shedding his precious blood, a blood that is more precious than all the silver and gold throughout the whole universe, shedding that blood for you and for me to pay for those sins, to cover those sins, to save you from the wrath to come. So that the next verse, Romans 5 verse 9 says, Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. We treasure up wrath by our sins, but Christ saves us from that wrath. That's why he's our greatest treasure. You know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, Peter writes, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Christ sacrificed himself for you. Christ sacrificed his blood, his life, his whole human existence, suffering the wrath that we deserve on the cross. Is not Christ your greatest treasure? Because Christ is the one through whom you have forgiveness of sins, through whom you have righteousness before God, and through whom you have the hope of righteousness in that great and terrible day of judgment. He's our Lord and Savior. In the third place, Christ is our greatest treasure because he is our only hope in the face of death. Now, I know that when we are young people, we don't think much about death, especially when we are young and healthy and strong. When our bodies seem to be filled with vitality, we feel the strength in our hands and our legs. We don't ever feel sickness or disease. We don't seem threatened by war or crime. We don't live in countries where there's persecution, where there is all kinds of fears and dangers. We don't think very often about the fact that every single day we walk, as it were, along the precipice of death. Whether we are children, young people, middle-aged, or old-aged, 
They sometimes say that the old must die, but the young can die. All of us live in a world in which death surrounds us. We face death, and we don't know when death will come for us. I have heard of young people, and so have you, who have died through accidents, through climbing accidents, through car accidents in their teenage years. We all know of people who in their 20s or 30s have been diagnosed with cancer or some other disease and who have died, we say, too young. We expect to live a long life on this earth and we think very little about death. Even myself still at my age still expect to live a long life. We expect to live into old age. We expect to die in a good old age and we hope that we will die in a quiet and peaceful way, but we simply don't know. We don't know when we will pass out of this life. We don't know when we will die. But we do know that unless we live until the last day, we will have to pass through death, each one of us. And this is something that the Word of God reminds us of continually in many places, that when we die, we take nothing with us, That's why Christ is our greatest treasure. He is our hope in death. We can't take anything with us when we die. Remember what Job said after he lost everything? Job 1, verse 21. Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We came into the world naked, and we're going to go out of the world with nothing, just as we came into it with nothing. In Psalm 49, the psalmist emphasizes that whether you are poor or rich, you're going to leave this world with nothing. The psalmist talks about the rich man who in his pride heaps up riches to himself and thinks that he will be able to keep these riches forever. But then, just like everyone else, he eventually dies. He gives up the ghost and all of his riches are lost. We all know the parable in Luke 12. In that chapter, the Lord Jesus teaches us to beware of covetousness because he says man's life does not consist in the things that he possesses. And then he tells the story of a certain rich man who had great riches, so great that his business was so prosperous that it kept growing and growing and he became richer and richer. And he said, what shall I do with all these riches? And he said, soul, I will build bigger barns so that I can store those riches. And then bigger barns and bigger barns. And soul, the rich man says to himself, take thy knees, eat, drink, and be merry, because you have great riches. And God says to that rich man, thou fool, this night your soul will be required of you. And then whose will those things be that you possess? Or we think of what Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6, another chapter that applies well to our theme. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6, he says, Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, 
which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. We brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. What happens to us when we die? We pass through death alone. We might have our family and our friends around us. We hope that we will have our friends and family around us to surround us, to comfort us, to to read God's word to us, to sing the psalms to us, to pray with us when we're in our last moments. But the fact is that just like everybody else, so also we will have to go through the experience of death by ourselves, without our family and friends, without our riches and treasures, without any more pleasures to enjoy. We lose everything when we die. So what is your hope in the face of death? The world has no hope in the face of death. Death is the complete loss of everything that they treasure. But not for us. Christ is our greatest hope. And this fact, these facts about what death is, just clarify to us how great of a treasure Christ is. Christ is the one and only person who has risen from the dead by his own power, having defeated the powers of sin and death on the cross. Christ arose. He arose and he lives with immortality and eternal life. And he ascended up into heaven with that immortality and life. So that Christ is our hope in life and death. Christ as the only one who has the power to carry us up to heaven when we die. So that at the moment when we lose everything in this life, every treasure, every attachment, every pleasure, we gain everything in heaven. Because Christ takes us there. He takes us into the glories of the heavenly city, there to see all of God's saints, there to see the angels, there to see Christ, and through Christ to see God. Christ is our greatest treasure because he promises to come again for us. He promises that when he comes on the clouds of heaven with all of his angels, he will raise our dead, disintegrating bodies from the dead. He will do that last great miracle of uniting our bodies with our souls and glorifying us to be like his glorious body. And then he will usher us through that judgment into the new heavens and the new earth so that in our resurrected bodies we will dwell with God in Christ forever and ever and ever, world without end. We will go into that place where the river of the water of life flows freely and where all those who are athirst can come and drink freely. That place where the tree of life lines the streets of gold that lead to the throne of God and all the streets are paved with gold. Where there is no more sun because God will be the light. Where the gates do not close by day or by night because there will be no enemies there. Where there will be no more tears or sorrow or death or pain. Is not Christ our greatest treasure? Indeed, he is. What then does it mean for us to treasure Christ? That in the second place. What does it mean, knowing how great of a treasure Christ is, that we, in our hearts and in our lives, 
treasure him? What does that look like? How does knowing this change our lives? It changes everything about the way we think about this life, about earthly things, earthly possessions, earthly attachments, earthly aspirations. Now we go back to our theme text. Matthew 6, verse 21. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus is saying that if your treasure is in heaven, if Christ is your greatest treasure, then your heart is also in heaven. That is, your heart is directed to heaven. Your heart is focused on heaven. Your heart delights in heaven. Your heart longs for heaven. Your heart is infatuated with Christ, with Christ who is in heaven, and with all of the pleasures that are ours in Christ in heaven. But if you treasure earthly things, if your treasure is on earth, if your treasure is in earthly possessions and earthly wealth and earthly experiences, that's where your heart is too. That means you're not really thinking much about Christ. You're not really dreaming much about being with Christ. You're not filled with hopes and dreams to see Christ. But your heart is wrapped up in earthly things. A second text, the one that Colin read earlier, Matthew 16. The context there, Jesus tells his disciples, I have to go up to Jerusalem to suffer. No, my kingdom is not of this world, Peter, James, John, and the rest of you. My kingdom is not going to be an earthly kingdom of riches and power and splendor. I'm going up to Jerusalem to suffer, to die, to be killed. And Peter says, No, Lord, no, let it not be. And Jesus says to him, Get thee hence, Satan. You do not savor the things of God, but the things of man. And right after that, Jesus says to them, If you will be my disciple, then you also must deny yourself and take up your cross as I take up mine and follow me. Being a Christian does not give to us the promise of a long, prosperous, wonderful, pleasant earthly life. But denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Jesus. And then he says those words that we heard read earlier. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Will you save your life or will you lose it? As a young person, that question comes to you. Will you save your life or will you lose your life? Those who decide to save their life do that because they treasure life more than Christ. Or they treasure life instead of Christ. They don't really treasure Christ at all, but they treasure life. They treasure this life with all that it has to offer us. They treasure it, and therefore they save it. That is, they do everything in their power, everything in their power to preserve their earthly life. They will compromise. They will 
give up their religion. They will deny Christ. They will do whatever it takes to preserve their earthly life, their earthly comforts, and their earthly treasures. They're not willing to give it up. They're not willing to sacrifice it. And Jesus says to such persons, he asks them this question, what doth it profit you if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? You gain this world, but you lose your soul for all eternity. Is that a transaction you want to make? But Jesus says, Whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Why would someone be willing to lose his life? To sacrifice all of his treasures. Maybe he has built up a prosperous business. Maybe the money is coming in, streaming in year after year. Maybe he's able to build and live in a beautiful, comfortable mansion. Maybe he has three or four beautiful, well-running vehicles, plus a boat, plus campers, and he can go on vacations and enjoy all these things. Why would someone be willing to give it all away, to lose it? Because he treasures Christ above all things. Because Christ is his greatest treasure. That's what Jesus is saying. Those who lose their life for my sake, that is, those who live loose to the things of this world as long as they have them, and those who are willing to give up those things at any moment, they will find their life in heaven. There's a well-known hymn. Probably you know it. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The Apostle Paul exemplifies someone who loses his life for Christ's sake. In Philippians 3, verses 7 through 11, he speaks of that. Turn to that passage with me. I think that's a very significant passage for this retreat and this theme. Philippians 3, the first part of the chapter, the apostle speaks of all of the things he used to treasure. He was circumcised. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a Pharisee, well-trained in the law. He had zeal. He had righteousness. He was blameless. But then, read with me at verse 7, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. That's a man counting all things loss. That's a man treasuring Christ above all things. 
So if we treasure Christ, who treasures us, if we treasure Christ, who died for our sins, if we treasure Christ, who rose from the dead, so that we could have the hope of the resurrection, that changes our hearts, that changes us fundamentally and dramatically. It changes us so that we find more and more that in our hearts we don't value the things of this earth. They grow strangely dim. Year after year they grow more and more dim and less and less important to us. As we focus our faith on Christ as our greatest treasure, we find ourselves strangely, miraculously, willing to lose everything if we can only have Christ. Just give me Christ and I'll give up everything else. But the fact is that we don't always have such single-minded affection and devotion for Christ, do we? But as we go throughout this life, our affections fluctuate. There are times when we feel strong in our faith and we feel that we have a great affection for Jesus. But there are other times when we feel that our faith has grown weak and we find ourselves growing attached to this or that earthly pleasure. And that, beloved young people, is why there's a constant need for repentance in our lives. Not just when we're children or young people, but when we're adults and when we're old. There's a constant need throughout life for repentance. And repentance in this regard means that we wake up to the fact that we have grown too attached to this or that earthly pleasure or treasure. We come to realize it. We come to acknowledge it. We acknowledge it before God. Oh God, I've become too infatuated with this or that pleasure. Maybe even so much so that we've become addicted to something. That's simply making a treasure out of an earthly experience, an earthly pleasure, so that we need it, we want it, we depend upon it, we have to have it, we can't live without it. That's a time for repentance. That we acknowledge and we wake up to the fact that I am treasuring something that is not Christ. And as we focus our eyes again on Christ, we do whatever it takes to detach our affections from those earthly things and reattach them to Christ. And we all know from experience that can be a very painful and brutal experience. The Bible describes it as mortifying the flesh. It's not easy to repent. It's not easy to turn away from the lusts of the flesh, to put down the idols that we erect in our hearts, and to remember, Christ is my God. Christ is my Lord. He is my treasure and my inheritance. But let us repent of all the idols that we have made and place our affections on Christ in our heart. And then not only does our heart change, but our life changes. What does our life look like when we treasure Christ above all things? Well, in some ways, from an outward perspective, you might not see all the time things that look all that different from everyone else. 
for example, you are still, as young people, going to pursue college or your career, just like others who don't treasure Christ, you can be found in the college classroom, you can be found in the workplace, you can be found working, making money, putting it in the bank, buying food, drink, clothes, doing all the same earthly things that other people do. Nevertheless, if you treasure Christ in your heart, your life will be different. It will change. Because you are not going to college and you are not going to work in order to be rich like others. You're not doing that in order to become famous. You're not interested in that. You're not interested in fame and fortune and gaining power and influence in the world. And with every quarter or dime or nickel that you earn, you remind yourself constantly that it's all worthless apart from Christ. It doesn't serve me any good whatsoever if I don't have Christ. And you remind yourself regularly throughout life, I can't take any of these dollars with me when I die. Not one. And if you treasure Christ, then it reorients the way you use your money as well. It reorients your priorities so that you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then on down from there, the other things of life. You're willing to give it all away to the poor if Jesus says, you have made an idol out of your money. Give to the poor and come follow me. It also means that although we are just like others in the sense that we have leisure time and recreation and vacation and we might enjoy fishing or hunting or golfing or whatever it might be, we might like to go to the mall and go shopping once in a while, we enjoy socializing, playing sports, watching sports, yet in all of those things, our highest affection is always on Christ. And we keep these things in their proper place so that we're not spending all of our time on recreation and fun, but the majority of our life, the majority of our time is spent in following Christ and seeking to do good works and seeking to be rich toward God. That's what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. Tell the rich that they be rich in good works, that they be rich toward God, that they put their trust in the living God and not in their riches. And that applies also to all of the experiences and pleasures of life. We're willing to give up all those things if we can only have Christ. It means, too, that like other young people, we have a desire to have someone special in our life. We have a desire to meet someone that we can spend the rest of our life with. We have a desire to get married, to raise a family, just like we see most others doing. But if we treasure Christ above all in our hearts, then it will show in our lives also in regard to dating and marriage. For one thing, we will be patient and we will learn to be content in single life. I mentioned to you in the introduction that when I was your age, I went to a lot of weddings, I stood up in a lot of weddings, and I watched a lot of friends and siblings get married. That was hard. 
There were times when it was lonely, when there was a desire to be like them, to be the one getting married. But the Lord was teaching me something, and I did learn it. It took a while, but I learned. What I learned was contentment. In Philippians 4, the Apostle Paul, who was single his whole life, wrote, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. How could he be content? He tells us, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. I can be content through Christ who strengthens me. I can be patient and content also in this regard because Christ is my greatest treasure. I have Christ. Even in my loneliest times, I have Christ. And I know that he treasures me. I know that he loves me. I know that he's always with me and he'll never forsake me. And I know that he has what is best for me in mind. So you see that in all of life's decisions, in all of life's plans, in all of the paths that we take, and also in the way that we live in all of those paths, treasuring Christ changes everything. In conclusion, when we treasure Christ in our hearts, we center our whole life around the church, the church of Jesus Christ. That becomes the center of our life because Christ is in the church and so we love the church and we want to be in the church, active and involved, hearing the gospel of Christ on Sundays, participating in the Lord's Supper to remember his broken body and shed blood and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs in thanksgiving to Christ. It means that our life centers around the causes of Christ, the raising up of the children of the covenant in the Christian schools, and the missions that spread the gospel of Christ into all the nations. That's where our heart lies. We care about these things more than anything else. And when it comes to glory and fame and popularity, it's the glory of Christ that we desire most. God forbid, we say, that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So do you treasure Christ in your heart and life above all things? Even in this time of peace and prosperity, even in this time of youthful strength and vitality, when the infirmities of old age have not yet come, right here, right now, Do you treasure Christ above all? May God grant that you will remember that Christ treasures you above all so much that he died for your sins and he's going to take you home to glory. And may that gospel truth cause you to treasure him above all. Thank you for your attention.